the prophet Samuel, in his farewell address to the people of Israel, said in 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. That word consider means to see, to look at, to inspect, to perceive, regard, learn about, observe, give attention to is probably the best way to describe it. And that last definition, give attention to, got my attention. Why? Because this call for God's people to consider what God has done for us is repeated over and over and over all through the Bible. When God repeatedly tells us something over and over and over again, that means it's very important, whether we think it is or not. And it is for a very good reason. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 2 through 3, Moses retells the events of God's delivering his people from Egypt. The focus is on what God did, which tells us a lot about who God is. Consider the discipline or the instruction of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt and Pharaoh. And then Moses continues by describing what God did in verses 4 through 7 of Deuteronomy 11. To Pharaoh's army, to his own people in the wilderness, which is explained in detail in Psalm 78. And to the rebels who led many of the Israelites to grumble and gripe about everything. So we get a very clear picture of God mercifully delivering and providing for his people, along with God's holiness and his judgment of sin. And this, all of this, is what God's people are called to consider. This story is told over and over again in many key moments as God's people head for the promised land, and also as his people possess the promised land. It's a key part of the regular feasts and times of remembrance. Moses also instructs the adults who saw all of these events that it is their responsibility to teach their children to consider all these things about God. It's our job to consider everything God tells us about himself and his word and to pass that on. And at the end of Moses' life, he wrote a song that was taught to all of Israel so that God's faithful dealings with them would be remembered. It's in Deuteronomy 32, and it's not short. But in verse 7, we see this. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. After verse 7, the whole history of God's dealing with his people is then recounted. 
And we should also ask a question here. What happens when we don't consider and remember? When we don't give attention to and don't look at closely and don't learn about and don't focus on who God is, what he is like, and what he's done. Well, Psalm 106, verse 7, answers that particular question. There we read, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. There is an incredibly clear and unmistakable connection between our considering and remembering who God is and what God has done and our faith and obedience. Part of the reason God has told us so much about himself and his work is to increase our trust in him, our contentment in him, our faith in Him, our obedience to Him, our gratitude for Him, our praise for Him, our hope in Him, our enjoyment of Him. Now, I was sitting in the back a few minutes ago, and I think I heard a lot of that expressed. It's beautiful. In the New Testament, we see in Jesus the revelation of who God is and what he does. Jesus told his disciples certain things, hard things, about how the world hates him and therefore them too. Why? Why did he tell them that? To discourage them? No, just the opposite. In John 16 Verse 1 and 4, we read, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. God, in his incredible grace to us in Christ, reveals everything we need to know about him in his word. Not everything we may want to know, but everything that he knows we need to know. Christ constantly called his disciples to remember things he did. So they would understand and trust him in whatever situations they found themselves. In Matthew 16, verse 9 and 10, we read the disciples were upset On one occasion that they had forgotten to bring any bread with them, the disciples were clueless and kept on discussing their lack of bread. And Jesus then said, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Here, right after Jesus had fed the 4,000 by creating food out of nothing, his disciples were griping that they'd forgotten to bring any bread to their new location. Sounded like anybody you know? That's what we do. 
what did they need to remember? What Jesus had just done. Jesus makes a direct connection of their not remembering to their, quote, little faith, unquote. There's nothing more important for us to consider and remember than what happened on this weekend over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Nothing is more important. After riding on a donkey into Jerusalem the previous Sunday, the triumphal entry, pronouncing judgment on unbelieving Israel and the Jewish leadership, including the cleansing of the temple on Monday, more teaching and controversies on Tuesday and Wednesday. On Thursday, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, shares the Passover meal, indicates Judas would betray him. He institutes the Lord's Supper, delivers the upper room discourse, predicts Peter will deny him, sings a hymn with the eleven, and then heads out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Late that night, possibly after midnight, after praying in anguished submission to going through with his coming sacrifice on the cross, note, while his disciples slept, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, arrested by the soldiers, and the disciples flee. Friday begins with Jesus facing a series of religious trials, going before Annas and Caiaphas. Peter does indeed deny Jesus three times. Jesus then goes before Pilate, Herod, and then back to Pilate, where the crowd, incited by the Jewish leadership, demands crucifixion. And Pilate ends up complying, condemning Jesus to death. Jesus is led to Golgotha, nailed onto a cross between two criminals, one of whom would believe before his death. I'm going to read from Luke's account, picking up where Trevor left off this morning. So I'll begin at Luke 24, verse 13, and read through the rest of that chapter. Then we're going to follow it up with some things Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Beginning here in Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. And thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. If you are able, would you please stand as I read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians 1 through 8 and verses 12 through 20, all in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Now I would remind you, there's that word, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Remember. Remember. Jesus' resurrection proved that he is who he claimed to be. 
and that he accomplished what he claimed to have come to earth to accomplish. So the people who belong to Jesus, who genuinely believe in Christ as their Savior and their Lord, must remember. This is the main reason believers in Christ were led to change the day of worship from Saturday to the day he, what? Rose to Sunday. What teachings stand with the resurrection of Christ? What exactly does the resurrection prove? First, that Jesus Christ is indeed deity. He is God. Romans 1.4 Jesus Christ our Lord was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. When Thomas saw the risen Christ and believed, he declared, My Lord and my God. John 20, verse 28. Secondly, that all who believe in Christ are justified. They're declared righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. In Romans 4, 25, Jesus who was delivered up for our our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, the resurrection is God's declaration that he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for human sin. Third, that the power by which Christ was raised from the dead is the same power at work within true Christians. Romans 6, verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the process of being able to be prepared for eternity with the Lord, where there will be no sin, is empowered now by the same power by which Christ was raised from the dead. This process is headed a certain direction. God's work in us will be completed. The power by which we live is His resurrection power, not our own personal strength. And every one of you sitting in this room this morning who know the Lord, know that if you belong to Him, you have to learn that lesson over and over and over again, and we won't completely learn it until the day he takes us to be with himself. We cannot live by our own personal strength. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Fourth, that death is not the end of this life. In fact, death is defeated for all who by faith are united to him. 
Jesus said something really special. Well, everything he said was special. But in John 14, 3, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. All you home decorators do not have to have worries. You don't have anything to do there. Imagine that. Christ goes to prepare a place for you. He says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's a certainty. Our hope is based on God's word. His work. Now there's another side to this coin. It's also true. Jesus' resurrection is also the pledge of a final judgment upon all who reject the gospel. In Acts 17.31, God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising that man, him, from the dead, Jesus. So there are five proofs, at least, of the resurrection that Jesus Christ is indeed God in human flesh who is risen, that all who believe in Christ, secondly, are justified. Third, that the power by which Christ was raised from the dead is the same power at work within true Christians. Fourth, that death is not the end of this life. And fifth, Jesus' resurrection is also the pledge of a final judgment. There will be an accounting. If you do not know him, you will have to face that. A lot to remember that each part of it was given to us because the Lord knows it's exactly what we truly need to know, believe, consider carefully, and always remember. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are holding out, thinking that you can rule your own life. Do what you want to do without accounting to the God who made you. We implore you to consider the claims of who Jesus is, why he came, why he died, and that you would believe on him as God in the flesh who paid the sacrifice for sin by dying on the cross. Today's resurrection proved that what he did was accepted by God who will condemn all sin and those who have not believed upon him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a day. We celebrate really every day in a special way every Sunday and every year on this day. Lord, we sang to you earlier in thanksgiving and with joy about your gift of Christ. 
that the second person of the Trinity was willing to restrict himself to a human body and live through the pain of this human life so that he would know, know, experience the pain, the agony of life as it is in the flesh. Lord, he was willing to come. It was his mission. He completed that mission. He lived a perfect life that you demand of each of us. And in our place, he bore our sin on himself on the cross and was willing to die. Lord, so many didn't see the Savior, the Messiah, that you promised to send, having to do that the first time he came. They were looking for other kind of deliverances and as usual, got it wrong. Oh Lord, we pray that we could see by your opening our eyes, our own sinful hearts. Know our true need is a Savior who paid the price for our sin. And as we believe in him, we also bow before him. We cannot call him Savior without also calling him Lord. Oh God, we pray that you would empower us to live lives that proclaim your truth, that run quickly to your cross when we do not walk in faith. We thank you for the certain, sure hope that you give us in him, for a life everlasting. Thank you that he rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him. Thank you that we have that to look forward to as well if we belong to you. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? If you can possibly almost get into singing mode, reply to this once again. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Or he is risen indeed. Did I mess that up? I think it works. May you have a blessed resurrection day. You're dismissed.